Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. How are you? How's the family as we are emerging into fall, your first fall as a family of four? Yeah, it's going really well. We actually put a little hat on Thomas for the first time. There you go. He seemed to like it. He liked it. Well, there you go. So he'll fit right in. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, Isaac actually does not like hats. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, Well. Yeah. So he, you know, he kind of looks at Thomas and he's like, oh, this won't do. And he takes the hat off of Thomas. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I love it. So, that's great. Yeah. Do you guys have any plans going to an orchard or a pumpkin patch or anything like that? Yeah, we like always going to Jackson's Orchard. Very so nice. That's our got to make your your annual pilgrimage. Hey, you, like you said last week, we're we're basic. Hey, we gotta, uh, you know, keep that's up right. That's right. Um, that was that was our um, pattern for years and years. And now that our kids are a little older, they don't want to go. So <laughs> my wife is disappointed, but frankly, I love Jackson's Orchard, love Bill Jackson, and uh, so very thankful that they exist. But um, when they are overrun with people and you're parking in the grass and everything else, I'm, I'm all set. I'm good. Uh, so anyway, well, I hope you all have a wonderful time as you celebrate that as a family of four. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank it's crazy. you. crazy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Well, so this Sunday we talked about the Samaritan woman. So the passage was John 4, 1 through 42. Mm-hmm. We're not going to read that whole passage today. Listeners, if you want to go back and listen to uh, that passage one and then listen to Jeff's sermon, that will really get you up to speed with the, the next steps that we talk about today. So Jeff, in this sermon series, you've shared a lot of vignettes of the chief disciples. So like, you know, Peter and John and, you know, even Mary Magdalene. But how did you decide to pick the Samaritan woman for this past weekend? Well, I'll be completely honest. So I'm, I'm trying at uh, a very mundane level to go male, female, male, female, so that so that um, everybody's represented and sees that it was men and women who followed Jesus. And so um, that, that was a, a basic impetus. But then beyond that, I love the story of this woman. And although she did not follow Jesus physically, um, she followed him spiritually. She went and brought people to him. Um, She had her life transformed. And I think it's so important that we see the pattern that is revealed in Jesus' interaction with this woman that, again, this was a providential appointment. She didn't know it was coming. But Jesus absolutely knew it was coming. And I think that John hints at that when when he says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He really didn't have to pass through Samaria because most Jews of this day would not pass through Samaria. They would actually lengthen their trip by going over to the Jordan River just so that they could avoid this region. But Jesus led his disciples right through this region because he knew he needed to meet this woman. And so... It's just an incredible story of someone really being called out by Jesus, and and that's where faith starts. We have to be called out. Um, I've heard it said the gospel will save you, the truth will set you free, but it's going to offend you first. 
and that is absolutely true. Um, the gospel message is offensive. Uh, it starts with the premise that though you were created by God, you have sinned against Him and turned away, and you are going to hell because that's what you've earned. And you know, just go out and start sharing that with people. Hi, my name's Jeff. You're going to hell. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an offensive message. Um, but it is the most beautifully offensive message because only when we see the true nature of our problem can we find the solution. It's just like going to the doctor. You know, they're not going to pull any punches. Uh, if, if, if you've got something going on, you know, your doctor's not going to come in and, and say, hey, you ever thought about riding a bull or skydiving? You might want to get on that. You know, they're going to come in and say, this is what we found. This is what this means. This is the prognosis. This is what we've got to do. And, and that's not a fun thing, but it's a necessary thing. So, but we get to see Jesus interact with her in a, in, a, in a very straightforward, but also kind and loving way, even in response to her difficult attitude. I mean, she was giving him attitude the entire time. Uh, right up until he called her out, and then all of a sudden she's, you know, she changes her tone, she changes the subject. She, you know, it's just this incredible scene where we get to watch someone encounter Jesus and what that encounter can look like. So I wanted us to to look at that yet again. I think I've preached this passage. Uh, I think this was the third time in my seven and a half years here, and so it. Clearly is one of my favorites. Um, I love the story. There's so many different angles you can take when you look at this text within the context of a 25 or 30 minute sermon. And so those were some of the reasons that I wanted to go. Um, but it started with, okay, I need a I need a female that you know we can look at her story, and um, she was the one that the Lord led me to look at this time. So it's really really kind of neat. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of different angles to take and different offenses that people can have with the gospel, uh, we're going to talk about Samaritans and Samaria and their, yes. yeah, how that interaction plays out. Um, so I was looking through different different sources about Samaritans, and I think Josephus kind of sums it up really well, what's going on in Samaria at this uh -huh. time. So Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote uh, just shortly after the ministry of Jesus, like during the time of the apostles. So he's eyewitness to a lot of the things that he's writing about. Yeah, and he's really good, too. He's yeah. He's a great, trustworthy source. Proven right time and time again by yeah. history. Yeah. yeah. So this is from Antiquities of the Jews 9.14.3. So he, he, Josephus writes, The five nations sent into the land of Israel brought their own gods into Samaria, so these are the people who would become the Samaritans. Right. So they brought their own gods into Samaria, and by worshiping them, as was the custom of their own countries, they provoked Almighty God to be angry and displeased at them, for a plague seized upon them, by which they were destroyed. And when they found no cure for their miseries, they learned by the oracle that they ought to worship Almighty God as the method for their deliverance. So they sent ambassadors to the king of Assyria and desired him to send them some of the priests of the Israelites, whom he had taken captive. And when he thereupon sent them, and the people were by them taught the laws and the holy worship of God, they worshipped him in a respectful manner, and the plague ceased immediately, and indeed they continued to make use of the very same customs to this very time, and are called in the Hebrew tongue, Kutlans, but in the Greek tongue, Samaritans. Yeah. So, so to sum that up a little bit, the Assyrians put some people from different countries into the land of Israel that they had conquered, and these people kind of, you know, mesh together. They had their own idolatrous practices. 
But then things didn't go well for them when they practiced idolatry in Israel. So they called for the, you know, the Israelites, the native, you know, people with their worship of God to get kind of the lay of the land and see what they should do with their own religion. Yeah. And then that heavily informed Samaritan worship moving forward. Uh, Josephus goes on to say that when things were going well with the Jewish people, then the Samaritans would remind them, hey, 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 we are relatives of yours. You know, we should, you know, all, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. Right. But then when things go poorly for the Jewish people, Samaritans, you know, cast them aside and don't act like they're related. So it's a very complex relationship on both the religious level and the kindred level for the Samaritans. Yeah, so they are. They're they're a new ethnicity brought about by the intermarriage of Jewish people with the people from these five countries. Again, the five countries are Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim. Um, and they're looked down upon. So they're a new ethnic group, but also you have what is called syncretism within their religion. Uh, syncretism is the joining together of elements of two different religions. So the best example in our modern history would be what happened with the Spanish Inqu- Spanish Inquisition, uh, what happened with the conquistadores coming and overtaking Central and South America and imposing Catholicism. You know, you can't impose your religion. So when you put a gun to my head and say, become a Catholic, okay, fine. Um, I want to survive, so I'll make whatever statement you want me to make, but I'm not going to relinquish my pagan religion, my my native religion. And so what you have is really, um, <laughs> it's called Santeria. It, it is the worship of saints in place of the pagan gods that they previously worshiped. And it's, it's combining elements of two different religions. And it it's not either religion, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an adulterated form of the pagan religion, the native religion that they had. It's an adulterated form of Catholicism. And so it has its own name, Santeria. Um, same things happening here. You know, these people are kind of being forced to say, yeah, this is what you need to do. This is the, the way that the people of this land worship. And this is the God that the people of this land worship. Um, so they just did both. It's kind of like Solomon's wives. They came in, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the temple and worship, but can can I have an altar to my God just off to the side? And so Solomon foolishly said yes. Um, but you can't make somebody a Christian by force. Let, let, me, let me just say that. You cannot make somebody a Christian by force. It has to be something that happens wrought by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. You can share the gospel with them. You should, but, you know, to impose your beliefs upon them doesn't work because it's got to, again, emerge from the inside out. Yeah, and that's really important to keep in mind. Which is why the Samaritans had their own version of the Pentateuch. They changed it. They had their own version of Israelite history. They changed it. They had their own temple. They changed it. And so, you know, it's it's it, it's a messy situation for sure. Yeah. So with that messy situation, we get an interesting story here with the Samaritan woman. So, you know, throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is going in the, you know, the Galilee and in Judea, he's concealing the fact that he's Messiah. Like, he's he's not actively telling people that. It, it's, scholars call it the messianic secret, right? Yep. So he's talking to this Samaritan woman, and, and she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and, you know, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And he says, I who speak to you am he. So 
Why What's up he, with that? Yeah, why is it not a secret anymore when he's in Samaria? <laughs> well, so you mentioned the Messianic secret, and that's very important, particularly in the Gospel of Mark. That's that's kind of where this theme of the Messianic secret runs through. Jesus is like, you're healed, don't tell anybody, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, and, and the bottom line of the Messianic secret is that Jesus was seeking to avoid people coming to make him king by force, people coming and, and trying to impose the Messianic reign, the, 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 the restoration of the glory of Israel, the overthrow of Rome, and all those sorts of things. And so you'll see scenes throughout the Synoptic Gospels um, where Jesus does something amazing, and the people come to take him and make him king by force, and he disappears. He goes away. Um you know, scholars have ideas. We don't have the explicit statement from Scripture that says, Jesus told her this because of this. But the clues that we have in the text indicate that because he's not in Judea, he's not around Jerusalem, he's not in the centers of Jewish population and the centers of Jewish reign and rule, that um, perhaps maybe it's it's safer for him to do this here. They're not going to seek to make him king by force. Um, even when she goes and tells people, we found I found a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the people came to him. Their response to him was belief in him, but not any sense of, and now you'll become king. They didn't try to set up a throne on Mount Gerizim. They didn't they didn't do anything like that. So um, scholars over the years have said, well, the likelihood of that happening was so much diminished in Samaria that he was safer in in letting that secret out and saying explicitly, I who speak to you am he. Um, whereas had he done that in Judea, I mean, you saw what happened on Palm Sunday. That was Jesus allowing them to know his identity, and so they're waving palm branches, and that would be similar to a political candidate walking in and people waving American flags. I mean, this is this is a political statement as they are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are singing Psalm 118, um, and, and they know what they're doing. And when it turns out that he doesn't overthrow the Romans, well, then their song changes from Psalm 118 to crucify him. And so, you know, had he made this statement in Jerusalem, it would have had a much different outcome in this moment, and his hour had not yet come. Had he made this statement even in Galilee, in the region around the Sea of Galilee, um, there could have been implications with that. Um, But he was safer making that assertion and that statement in Samaria. Interestingly, when you come down the Mount of Olives, following the path that Jesus took, um, on Palm Sunday, there's walls around the path um, along some portions of it. And so you just think about how tight it would have been and how, I mean, it would have been such an incredible experience. And uh, as you come down, people are trying to sell you stuff. There are people who have cars parked and they're selling their wares. And and it would have been the same back in that day. They wouldn't have had cars parked. Um, sure. <laughs> but but even as Jesus was coming in, there would have been people who were taking advantage of the crowd, trying to sell you stuff and 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 trying to trying to make a profit off of all the commotion. And um, anyway, just another plug. If you ever had the uh, inclination to go to Israel, please do, and um, it will change your life. Anyway, yeah, good plug. I I can't wait. God willing to go to Israel soon, um, and you've got a tour going next year. So that's I do still spots are open for that. 
No, it's no. full, Never but mind. we are, we're doing a waiting list now. That's ah. important for people to know. Yeah. yeah, it's it's full, but they are doing a waiting list because sometimes people's plans have to change. And uh, so you can still contact our, our folks and uh, we can put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, if you want to hop on that waiting list, we can do that. Yeah, well, and speaking of the Holy Land and Jerusalem in particular, that makes me think of Acts 1.8. So another passage mentioning Samaria. So Jesus is giving the Great Commission, and he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So am I correct in understanding here that there's a um, a line here that he's giving, but also that we see carried out throughout the book of Acts where he's saying, like, start in Jerusalem, you know, the holy temple's there. It's like holiest place on earth, but then all Judea, but then Samaria, which is kind of, you know, almost like another nation, but it's also related to uh, Israel and the Jewish people. Am I correct in kind of seeing that radial effect there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's how that's how the book of Acts proceeds then. So you have the gospel going forth in Jerusalem and in Judea. Then you get to chapter 8, and Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. And so... Then um, you you have Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch after that, and and just it goes forth to the ends of the earth, and you you have the book of Acts ending, uh, and kind of just drops off. It doesn't have this strong conclusion. It just it's just this cliffhanger of, okay, Paul's at Rome, and what happens now? And yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Have you ever heard the idea that Luke was? thinking that he might write a third book? Yes, I have heard that. Um, I'd love to talk to him about it in glory. You yeah. know, what, what, what would have come next? And so I'll tell you, um, there is a trip in the works, not for 2024, um, but a trip that will follow the pathway of Acts. So stay tuned for more uh, opportunities to see things and to be in places that you've read about in the Word of God. Very nice. So let's take all of this and make it practical with today's practical application question. So Jeff, on Sunday, you shared about a, a saying in recovery groups that says, basically, you're only as sick as your secrets. Uh, how, how should disciples of Jesus let go of debilitating secrets? Well, first, you got to admit them to yourself. I think that's very important. Sometimes we all um, have a tendency to to kind of just put things off to the side, even in our own minds. And uh, you have to be honest with yourself, and then you have to be honest with God. Now, here's the thing. God knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And yet there have still been times in my life where I have tried to conceal things from God. And it doesn't work. You can't hide things from God. Just as Adam and Eve couldn't hide from God in the garden, you can't hide anything about yourself from God. So recognizing that He is your loving Father, take it to Him. Take your attitudes, your thoughts, your inclinations, all the things about it. Take it to Him. And I would say take it to Him prayerfully, respectfully, recognizing that he is the God of the cosmos. And, and if he chooses to, he can wipe any of us out in an instant. You know, that's, that's no problem for him. Um, so we go humbly before him, but we take it to him. But then, you know, the Bible also says, confess your sins one to another. And, and here's what I would say. Don't, don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on social media. Don't, don't just blab it out to, to anyone indiscriminately. But if you have a fellow believer that you can trust, 
Um, I think it's important to say those things out loud. Confess your sins one to another, the Bible says. And again, do that within the context of a trusted Christian relationship with the understanding that these folks are going to maintain your confidence unless there's some reason that they can't, um, uh, some legal reason, and and there are legal reasons when confidence must be broken. But um, you got to get it out. And I'm going to tell you, I've held on to sins, secret sins um, in my life in the past that, that I was so ridiculed inwardly, so racked with with pain and shame over these things. And I would take them to God, um, but I'll tell you, true freedom came when I said them out loud to another person. Because listen, that's where Satan likes to operate is in the realm of our secrets. And, And the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. So if you're holding on to a secret sin and you're not allowing God to shine his light on it, even though you know he knows about it, but you haven't shared that with another human being, another believer in Jesus Christ that you can trust, then what Satan is going to do is to continue to hurl that at you. And in my case, there have been times when when I have heard the lie from the enemy, you know, a, a real Christian wouldn't do that. And, and you must be a, a phony. You must be false. You must be fake. Um, because... God couldn't love you as someone who has done that thing, you know. And and the truth is it wasn't that big of a deal of a thing, but it was it was hidden in me and I felt like this 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 sense that if this ever got out then then everybody would know I'm a phony. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as I said it out loud to another human being, a couple things happened. Number one, Satan's power was taken away. He functions in the darkness. When you shine the light on it, he's got to flee. So he's gone. The light's now on it. Um, and the other thing that happens is that which seemed so huge was not as big of a deal once the light was on it. And it was another way in which God's grace was revealed even over and above that secret sin. And so so let me just plead with you. I know there's not a doubt in my mind that that many of our listeners are racked with pain and shame because they're holding on to a secret that the enemy uh, is fully aware of and hurling accusations at them. Take that to a trusted brother or sister in Christ Say it out loud and watch as God's light is shined on it. Watch how the enemy's power is totally taken away, and it will go away so quick. I mean, that that that, that power that the enemy has over it, as soon as God's light is on it uh, with another trusted believer, man, the power of Satan just is broken, and you will live in a freedom that you are not experiencing right now. So I just really want to encourage you. Uh, again, don't just don't put it out there for the world to see. You know, you, God doesn't call us to air our dirty laundry to the world, but to find someone you know that you can trust and, um, and to tell the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. I'm glad we could look a little more in de- detail about the Samaritan woman and Samaria in general and talk about confessing our secrets to uh, trusted brothers and sisters. Uh, listeners, if you have a question for us to answer on the show, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. So let us dwell in your light. Let us walk in your light. And every time we stumble, let us come first to you 
and let us confess our sins to you, not because um, we need that particular sin to be forgiven. We know that if we're in Christ, we are forgiven. But Lord, that we would cultivate the relationship with you that you desire and that we desire, a relationship of openness and honesty and true communion between us and you. But also, Lord, bring around us trusted brothers and sisters in Christ to whom we can confess things, knowing that they can be trusted with that confidence. And Lord, set us free even of those secret things that Satan is using to hold us back even now. And so, Lord, as we trust and follow Jesus, may we do so in the freedom and liberation of those who have been set free by the Son. For if the Son sets you free, you say, we are free indeed. Let us walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fuying Engdahl.